Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Please follow in the reading of the Word of God. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh, the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having it put to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far away, And peace to those who are near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built into the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom... The whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into the dwelling of God in the Spirit. Father, we ask that you teach us now. We have read your holy word, we have lifted it up, and we pray that, Father, as we lift it up, that you will be exalted, that you will be worshipped, and you will be praised. Father, I ask that our hearts will be open to this, Father, understanding the dangers of the time, Father, and the things that have plagued the body of Christ since his birth at Pentecost 2,000 years ago. Help us, Lord. Help us to hear you. Help us to bow before this in your authority, in your majesty, in each of our lives individually, but, Father, also collectively as we manifest Christ to a lost and dying world. In Christ's name. Amen. All right, here we go. Get ready. In this letter, six chapters, unity is the overriding topic to the letter. I mean, you can't really negate that when he deals with the role of the husband and the wife and the kids and the masters and the slaves and all the rest of it. He's still dealing with unity. He uses the word body more in this letter than any other text that he writes. But he also uses in him. And we are in him. And so that overriding unity is in him. It is in him. We are one in Christ. We are one in the body. Okay, And if you're really honest with yourself, that is a, a, a tremendous unity that man cannot duplicate. And that's what Paul is showing us. I shared with you when we started this letter some time ago that in some of the early manuscripts, 
the word to the church of Ephesus isn't in it. And if you take this letter, you could lay it to any congregation and it all fits. It's all going to be in there. And it would deal with that overriding thing of unity. But like I shared with you, the first three chapters, he tells what you and I, every believer ever or every believer to come, already possess. We're not trying to make this happen. But then in 4, 5, and 6, he says, this is what this unity looks like because of what you Possess what God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit did before creation. Then he fulfilled in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he now empowers us today with the Holy Spirit. It's all there. It is being fleshed out. The problem that I see that exists in the body of Christ, even us, is that too many of us don't really know what we possess. We know what we're supposed to do, but we don't realize what we really have to accomplish that. You know, listen, and, and everybody says, well, you know, Terry, I, all right, I'm going to give you one. I'll just give you one. All right, this was written in why Paul is in chains. Okay, they call them the prison letters. Okay, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. All right, those are the prison letters. All right. He tells the Philippians in chapter 4, consider others more important than yourself. This is the attitude of Christ. All right. Now then, knock yourselves out. Go get it. That's not that hard, is it? To consider others more important than yourself? That's like saying, love your brother. Who's your brother? Anybody that ain't you? So if I'm going to consider others more important than myself, who would the others be? Anybody who isn't you. Now then, if you ain't got a really eyeball deep theology, you are going to be one miserable creature. Okay, and you know what? We'll all know it. Listen, when I look at this as unity... In the body of Christ. I look up Christ's prayer in John 17, 20 and 21. That they will be one as we are one, Father. So that the world may know. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus Christ prayed in the Father's will? Then why in the world would he say something like that? Oh, that's the Father's will. I listen to people... Pastors, other quote-unquote Christians. And there's not a lot of people getting saved. All right? And you know why? Where's the unity? I listen to a lot of pastors in this town, and, and they're really good because they can hide their arrogance extremely well. And I keep thinking, if that's what the leadership's doing, guess what the congregation looks like? All right? 
They're arrogant, but they hide it well. Listen, when I look at this and I think about it, I look at our world. How unified is it? Okay, but I can look at it through history. When was it unified? It's never been unified. Look at it. Go through history. I mean, we call ourselves the United States of America. Well, that's a joke. Listen, I look at marriages. They don't look unified. I look at children. They definitely don't look unified. Work. Is that unified? Schools. How about governments? Nations? Listen, it's a constant conflict. There's arguments. There's strife. There's division. Paul even told Timothy that in the end he needs to guard himself in the church because men will be lovers of self. And Charles Spurgeon says that's the sewage pipe that the rest of it pours out of. And if you're a lover of self, I know you're exceedingly well at considering others more important than yourself. Paul's words in this text is, uh, depending on your translation, is barriers or walls. And I would argue that barriers or walls are everywhere in every facet of your and my life. You can't get away from them. But I want to show you something. Remember I told you this is part of the uh, prison epistles, prison letters? Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. Okay? We are all equal in Christ. But let's be realistic. Sin makes it very difficult. This unity couldn't be easier or wouldn't have taken a cross. We are all one in Christ. We are all in the body of Christ. And then he sums it up in chapters 4 through 4, actually 4, 3, all the way through the end of what that looks like in the letter to the Ephesians. The church is to manifest this oneness. It is to be seen. Verse 13, we see in chapter 1, verse 13, is God's design. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's already there. That's God's design. It's God's design. And it is so powerful that Jew and Gentile are still one. I'll take you back to the great prophet. Isaiah chapter 57. 
verse 14 and 15. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the way. Remove every obstacle out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to receive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart contrite. Then you drop down in verse 19. And what does he say? Creating the praise of the lips. Remember what he said. The holy and contrite. Creating the praise of the lips. Peace. Peace to him who is far and to him who is near, says the Lord. And I will heal him. But we looked over the last few weeks in verses 11 and 12 that we were alienated, alienated apart from Christ. We were socially alienated. We have no statehood, if you want to call it that, no societal bound. But we were also spiritually alienated. And at verse 12, we were separated from Christ. We were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise had no hope without God in the world. Listen, every one of us in this room was at that place. We were alienated socially. We were alienated spiritually. And yet this battle is constant in the church. Has been since Pentecost. First Timothy chapter 2 God says he would will all men be saved. All men be saved. So he would will that all men be saved. Jesus Christ offered us to be the mediator between God and man. Okay, you know what another term for mediator is? You're not going to like this. Lawyer. I just don't think there's a lot of lawyers in heaven, but I know there's one really good one. Okay? I've had lawyers in the past. It's always amazing to me because they always told me, now when you walk up for your arraignment, always tell them and lie that you're innocent. But I'm not. Don't tell the judge that. Go in and tell him you're innocent. And I'm like, that's a lie. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Just tell him that. And you're like, well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. I did it. If I didn't do it, I wouldn't be here. And yet Jesus mediated between the holy and exalted God that Isaiah spoke of. And John Calvin called it the worms of mankind. That's us. That's us. Jesus offered as a mediator, so he paid the ransom for all. In this section between verses 11 and 22, there's basically two major points in it. I'm breaking them down, and we've looked at the one in the last few weeks that we were alienated. You know what? And he says, remember, 
that you were alienated. There are times that I deal with Christians who have forgotten that. They don't understand that they were alienated. At one point in time, you were separated from God. It doesn't matter what you think you did. It doesn't matter how good you were or how bad you were. You were alienated. You had no idea of the covenant of promises. You had no hope. You had no commonwealth with Israel. You had no God in this world. So I have a hard time when I see Christians boasting. That's a little irritating for me. Because I'm trying to figure out what do you have that was not given unto you? And yet, for whatever reason, every once in a while we like to puff up our chest and say, Oh, look what I did. Yeah, you know what they call that where I come from? Duck. Because <laughs> this one's going to leave a mark when it hits you. Okay, this is things that you have to pay attention to. It is easy for us to, to think, well, you know, God saved me. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. And you know what? It was nothing you ever did. It, we've already gone through this. It wasn't he's going to save you based on your response. Because you know what? If that's what he did, then it's no longer grace. I got to this point and he owes me salvation. I don't think you want to stand in front of him and say, you know, it's about time. Okay? All right, now, I want to help you guys study scripture. All right? Um, after years and years, and see, I, you guys need to understand something. People say, well, how much do you study each week? And I said, about 35 to 50 hours. Well, how long have you been doing that? Ever since I've been here in Castle Rock Baptist Church. Okay? And everybody said, well, you study that, man. Well, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> okay? So you guys might be able to do it a lot quicker than me. I can't. I've tried it. I just don't get it done. All right? I look at what I call time impact words when I'm reading scripture. And I've done it so long now that they just jump at me. Look, there's one. Look, there's another one. I don't respond that way, actually. But it's just like, yeah, that's before and this is after. Okay. I don't do this jump up and down and, you know, throw confetti in the office or anything like that. Look, I found another one. Verse 11, you formerly, you formerly, you know what that means? In time past, in time past, verse 12, at that time, what time? In past, formerly. So when I'm reading this and I'm looking at the, it, what he's given me here, I'm looking at it based on past events. In past events. All right? It's all in the past. And you know what? 
I was alienated. I didn't have any hope. I was in the world without God. I had no understanding of the covenant promises. I had no understanding of the commonwealth of Israel. And I did not have Christ. All right. That was in the past. Look at verse 13. What does it start off with? But now. In the past. Yes. You didn't have the covenant promise. You didn't have Christ. You didn't have no hope. You didn't have the promises. You didn't have God. But now I have Christ. I'm in the commonwealth of Israel. I am now. I have hope. Now I have God in the world. Okay. Now I want you to understand something between those two verses. There's no process. It's not like, okay, I now have Christ and I'm working on the commonwealth of Israel so that eventually I can get to the hope and and know the promises of the covenant. No, it's all instantaneous. But now, it's sort of like in Galatians 5 when we talk about fruit of the Spirit. Okay, I I remember years ago, years ago, years and years ago, years and years ago, uh, the first pastor I had here at Castle, that I was with here at Castle Rock Baptist Church, and they were teaching on the fruit of the Spirit. And it was awesome. You know, you just sit there and you just eat it up. And then you started watching the people. And, you know, the first week we started out with love. And, oh, we're going to love. And it's going to be great. And then the next week, you, 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 they forgot about the love. And I'm working on joy now. I got to get my joy. Got to get my joy going. And then, you know, then you just sit there and you're like. And then I studied Galatians. And it dawned on me something. It does not say fruits of the Spirit. It says one. One fruit. You know what that fruit is? Love. When you've got that one done, the rest of them are automatic. And yet I watch people say, well, you know, I've got to work on my joy today. Is it working for you? You see what I'm trying to get at? Because it is complete. My love I have poured into your heart. But now, in time past, you were alienated. Yes, socially and spiritually. But now, guess what? The alienation is over. The alienation is over. But God... Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Chapter 2 verse 4. The alienation is gone. But God. Remember you were in the first place. But now in Christ Jesus. Okay. We come into the change. We come into the change. If you just look here today, the different backgrounds, the different lifestyles, the different educations, the different things that we each do. Okay. Uh, You know, I remember years ago and I I was really into hunting. Uh, We used to take uh, church hunting trips all the time. A bunch of yahoos would go freeze ourselves in the woods. There's a reason they don't call it a finding trip. It's called a hunting trip. 
So, you know, and, and I remember people left the church because I liked to hunt. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Okay, we have changed. We have a change socially. We have a change spiritually. In the, my travels internationally, I have seen this in ways, the, the social fabric that is the church. People live for the church. There's a crowd all the time. The, the, and it's like the proverbial doors are never closed. You know, uh, I've seen widows, babuskas, uh, grandparents who did not have family in the area, and they live in the church. They have these little cubby holes where they'd have these big mats piled up, and the widows would clean the church day in and day out and, and would make sure that if someone came in and needed food, that they would fix them something to eat. And it, and it was it was social. I watched a Sunday morning, and it was, oh, cold. And snow stacked up that you couldn't look over the top of it. And I watched the people fill up the church. I mean, it was packed. There's probably 250, 300 people there. And I look out in the parking lot, and there's no cars. Everybody walked to the church. And then it was really bizarre. You get done with church, and nobody leaves. They all stay there all day. Why? Well, some of them would play music. They'd have some music people would, would be practicing for choirs and stuff like that. And then they were already there for the evening service. And you just sit there and you go, what in the... But see, that's their society. That is their family. That is the people they want to be with. Why? They are in Christ. The social barriers are non-existent. They're non-existent. So they have the social there. And the spiritually, now they have hope. Now they have God in the world. Now they have the promises of the covenants. Now they have the commonwealth of Israel. Now they have Christ Jesus. And I've seen that in Russia. I've seen that in Azerbaijan. I've seen that in Georgia. These places that I travel to, they, they look at this thing and say, yeah, that's what it says. And they consider others more important. Why? They are united in Christ. Christ is the unification. Let's stay close to Christians so I can know the unification. No longer alienated. Every one of you who believe today are no longer alienated. You are in Christ. You are united. Verses 13 through 15 says that the Jew and the Gentile are one. One. One new man. But now, you know, I listen to people... Crying for miracles. A lot this week. And you know what? In some cases I would look at it and say, if this is corrected, it'll be a miracle. But if the alienation's over, how great a miracle is that? How great a miracle is that? I'm not separated. 
I'm not separated from God. I'm not separated from Christ. I know the covenant promises. I have hope now. And I am united with everyone who has that. And it doesn't matter if I can speak their language or not. It's amazing. I was talking to the guys at SGA this week, or last, yeah, last week. And they are in astonishment with what's going on in the Ukraine. You know that little border incursion that happened in Donsk? The Russians had nothing to do with. It was just a, some kind of an uprising. Crimea, I don't, you may not remember that anymore. You know what's amazing? The churches in that area are full of people from the born natural of the Ukraine and Russians. And the big fear was this is going to blow the church up. Guess what? It didn't. It made the church stronger. Now, you want to tell me how that worked? Tell me how that worked. Russians hate the people from the Ukraine because they didn't put up a bigger fight against the Germans. Most of them people are dead. You know that, right? Yeah. Talk about stiff neck. Okay? But do you see what I'm trying to get at? The church is getting stronger because the animosity that the world's trying to stuff down their face, they look at and says, we've overcome that. Christ is where we are. The key is Christ Jesus. He, now people say, well, it doesn't say Jew or Gentile. Well, what does far and near mean? That means the Martians and the earthlings. Listen, the far off are those who had no understanding of who Christ is, who had no understanding of the covenants, had no understanding of the commonwealth of Israel, who had no understanding of hope, who had no understanding of God in the world. Listen, there will never be an end to this alienation until Christ ends that. And that's the miracle. You and I have already tasted that. If you go look at the book of Revelations, and, you know, don't get into the, you know... What is that? Is that an Apache helicopter? It's got teeth and... No. Apache helicopters don't sting. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) They end it. All right? So I I just... I listen to people try to explain what John couldn't explain. Okay? And John's seeing it. But we can explain it. So anyway, when you look at the book of Revelation, it's the reestablishment of Israel. Just keep that in your bonnet. All right. That's what it's all about. And he's bringing it back together. Yes, it is the conclusion of the age, but he has to put the covenant back up for the nation of Israel. Because right now there's a temporary setting aside. Why? He's dealing with the body of Christ. All right. But he's going to come back here in the future and he's going to deal with Israel. And yet they're pretty stiff necked. He's got to take a and just. Trash the world to get it done. But he gets their attention. It's it's funny how he can pull that off. Okay. But think about it. He did the same thing with you and me. All right. 
So when he gets that accomplished, then you have the nation of Israel and then you have this bride of Christ, which is the church. And yet there's no alienation. There's no separation. So many through so many centuries have said, peace, peace, when there is no peace. You can look at it and you can say, well, you know, there's no peace for the wicked. You know, they don't have peace with God. Guess what? They don't have peace with other humans. There is no peace. You can't tell me a time when there's been peace on this planet. Christ alone can take people who are far off and bring them near. Christ alone. See, people who... There are people who know of God. There are people who don't know of God. Those who don't know of God are far. Those who know of God are near. That would be the Jew and the Gentile. Christ brings them together. And there, you go through history. You know, I listen to everybody telling me about how they are persecuted and how they suffered. and did, did, did. There is no group of people ever in existence who have been more persecuted than the Jews. And they're still... They're still that way. And every believer, every person who has put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the promise of the gospel. And it's always been that way. You will have peace with God, therefore you will have the peace of God. Not only that, you will have peace with every believer who ever walks. Listen. Let me take you to an interesting thing that I read. I I don't have any other way to describe it. It's, as far as I can tell, in my understanding, it is the first recorded sermon when the church was founded and created. Okay? You know, I'm sure some other people preach, but this is the recorded sermon of the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2. An amazing, an amazing. Taking his stand with the eleven in verse 14. He raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Okay, church been birthed. Holy Spirit has come down, remember? And it comes down like a fire and they're, they're, everybody's talking in languages. And they said, well, hi, they, they, they sound like they're drunk. Well, if you could only know Hebrew or Greek and somebody's speaking Scythian, you probably think they're drunk. It's like the term barbarian. The literal word in the Greek is barbar. Okay? A barbarian is anybody who doesn't speak Greek. And so to them, when they were speaking, it just made a noise. Barbar, 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 barbar. And therefore, you became a barbarian. All right. 
That's what was happening in Jerusalem. You had people speaking languages that they did not know to people who didn't know the language they were speaking. That's what was happening. God was breaking this forth. One of the most powerful sermons you can ever read. But the part I want you to think about, okay? Now remember what's happened here. The church at this time is 100% Jewish. Okay? Because it just happened. The Holy Spirit coming down on the disciples and the apostles has just happened. Okay? When he finished up his sermon, when he had heard this, the crowd, when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter says to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Good Baptist altar call, huh? Look at verse 39. Now remember, the church at this time is what? 100% Jewish. Look what he says. For the promise is for you. Who's he talking to? Jews. Okay? The promise is for you and your children and for all who are Far off. As many as the Lord God will call to himself. So the first sermon recorded and preached was for Jew and Gentile. First sermon. And yet, guess what? They still struggled with it. When he was supposed to go down to Cornelius and Joppa, he couldn't do it. That's the Gentile. I can't go down there. I can't, uh, and I remember he has the vision of all the food, give thanks and what? Eat bacon. Right? Astonishing. Even with Peter's first sermon, there was still a struggle with it. That's hard. It's hard. You know what? I watch us. There's times we don't want to share with people. Well, I just don't know about them. You know, they're just kind of, look at them. Jesus Christ overcomes this alienation. He overcomes the spiritual. I remember reading uh, Talmudic writings. Uh, so these would be before Christ. And it was proper for a rabbi. Okay. It's proper. This is taught by the Jews. Okay. This is before Christ. This is, I mean, we're talking B.C. All right. It was proper for a rabbi, if a Gentile woman came to his door in need, it was proper for the rabbi to slam the door in her face. That was proper. Why? It was a Gentile. And yet Jesus, in the cross of Calvary, opened his arms and he opened the door wide and calling all to come. Come. Okay, verse 13, back in Ephesians 2. What did this? Easy. The blood of Christ. That refers to his death. It doesn't mean you have to get spilled on. The blood of Christ is what? The life. So if he spilled his blood, he lost his 
life. Boy, I've watched people get tied up in some kind of yoga thing saying, well, you've got to have the blood. Where are you going to go get that? Well, if you don't have the blood, no, you must believe his death and resurrection. That's what it is. His death made us near. That's the point. I'll deal with this more next week. What I want you to think about. The separation that sin caused is done. It is completely done. You're not in the process of being done. It is done. See what I'm trying to get at? We want to think about the fruits of the Spirit or love, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church or wives submit to your husband and children honor your parents. And we want to do all of that. Do you understand that the alienation is gone? Once you step into that, the rest of this is easy. If you're struggling with it, guess what? You haven't embraced the fact that it is really close to being finished. No, it is finished. Then if you struggle with that, then get on your knees and tell him to prove it to you. Tell him to make your faith stand rock solid on that. The separation of sin is done. Do you understand because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, every relationship that you have now is only going to, could only be perfect? Try that one. And it's funny. I'll have to give you an illustration. My wife is a morning person. She is. I mean, she wakes up and she's bubbly and eating. And her youngest son and her husband ain't. And I think it's awesome. She went in was that yesterday morning, I think, and Josh comes in. He's got this thing going on. And Paige doing her, dee, 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 dee. can I give you a kiss this morning, Joshua? And No. <laughs> and I, all I could think is, don't do it, Paige. He'll knock your butt out. <laughs> He'll tell you he's sorry about 11 a.m., but <laughs> up until then. So. But that alienation's over. It's over. I get up usually about three. Somewhere in there. Because I need to get a head start for when she wakes up. Because <laughs> I can usually have a pot of coffee done. and Alright, I'm ready to be human now. And so when she gets up, I don't feel like saying, No, I don't want you near me. Be quiet. Shut the door. <laughs> I remember a time. Grace Community Church. Some of you have been out to it. Uh, the new sanctuary thing. And if you've ever been to their baptismal service, it's really kind of cool. Their pulpit is hydraulic. It goes and disappears into this platform. And then the floor opens up behind it, and they got a hot tub where they do baptistries, baptisms. And they're elder government, and the elders don't do anything without 100% unanimous. Okay, They don't believe that the Holy Spirit will tell half and not the other half. So they don't do anything. So in the process of building this building, they've got walls up and they're doing all this other stuff. And they're like, well, what about a baptistry? One of the elders said, well, we've got one over in the old church. If we have a baptism, we'll go over in the old church. Well, wait a minute. We're calling this 
a worship center. We should have a baptistry in it. And the guy said, well, we, it's not on the plans. We didn't design it. We don't have one. And he came up with the hydraulic pulpit that sinks down into the, what you call it. And then they open the floor behind it and they can bring the people in left or right, depending male or female, uh, and do their baptis- baptisms. And it was unanimous. So, you know, I remember seeing Stephen Olford out there preaching. <laughs> and he was the last guy. I think it might have been after a baptismal service. So he comes walking up. There's about, I don't know how many steps to get up on top of the platform. And he was in his 80s then. And he's walking up there with his Bible like this. And he walks over there. And the pulpit's in the process of coming up. Real slow, and he looks down and says, I have got to get one of these <laughs> because I have, uh, I, I've had, I understand that he was shorter than me. Okay, there are some guys, this is a stationary pulpit, I can't do anything with it. Uh, I had a friend of mine, he's in glory, Wayne Barber, he was six foot, no, nah, nine, six, eight, or nine. Okay, when he stood at this pulpit, his belly button was right here. Okay? I preached out at his church in Chattanooga. This is before he went to... <laughs> anyway, his pulpit is shaped like a cross. Okay? And, and, and the, the cross member of the cross is your, where you lay your Bible and your notes and everything. <laughs> so, I, he's, he wants me to share. So, I get up there and I walk up behind this thing. And I lay my Bible down, and my Bible's about this high. And this middle thing is about up here. And so I'm doing one of these. And I said, this is what it means to be behind the cross. <laughs> so, But you couldn't make it shorter. I could, but I'd have had, to, had a chainsaw. And uh, he'd have probably said, what are you doing? Listen, perfect relationship, yet we still have sin. And it causes us problems. It tried to cause problems at Grace Community Church. It tries to cause problems at Castle Rock Baptist Church. I don't know how many times I had a discussion today about multiplying the church. And I said, well, Baptists multiply by division. And they said, well, you can't say that. I said, when you've been in it as long as I have, I can. I don't know how many times I've seen this church split. Why? Sin. Sin. I want to close with this. Something I read. Psalm 30. 10, 11, and 12. Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosened my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praises to you. Not be silent, O Lord my God. I will give thanks to you forever. You got that? David had just come out of this debilitating illnesses. And God preserved him. Listen, brothers and sisters. I'm talking about the unity that is in Christ. And I... I am a little frustrated by the lack of praise that goes to God for the alienation being done with. And we want more healing.
You know, heal me of my toenail fungus. Heal me of whatever, hangnails. Give me a new car. Give me an old used car. Give me a nice used old car. And yet, He has turned our mourning into dancing. He has loosened my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. That's done. That's done. This is a heart that cries out to declare His glory. You and I who are saved should have a heart that cries out to declare the glory of our salvation. And that glory crying out should be that we want to share with everybody and anybody. That is our unity, brothers and sisters. It's an amazing thing if you think about it. Because it took us who were far and brought us near. It dealt with our sin, our present sin, our future sin, and our past sin. When he says, it is finished, that's exactly what he meant. Exactly what he meant. I want to deal with his blood next week, okay? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. Thank you, my king. It is finished. The alienation is done. I can't even comprehend that, my king. I can't comprehend that. I am overwhelmed by it. And yet, as David shares forth in an exaltation of what you had done. Father, I pray that you, we who are called by your name, will celebrate that too, that exaltation. As Paul will tell us later in this letter, sharing the truth in love. Thank you for bringing us together again, Lord. Thank you for the amazing things you've done this week. But Father, let us understand the war is raging, whether we're aware of it or not. And yet, Father, we have an enemy who wants to capture us like a roaring lion. Help us to stand the wiles of the devil and resist him. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.